Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large Podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting, as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I hope you're all enjoying listening and reading. I am getting increasingly optimistic and excited these days. Uh, I know that the vaccine is coming sooner than later. I don't know how soon it will be dispersed and given to everybody and in which fashion, but I know that as people get more optimistic and uh, we start to feel more safe, we will be able to get back to work sooner than later, which makes me very excited. And I'm also seeing little rays of sunshine everywhere. I talk to a lot of people and I reach out multiple times daily to several people in the industry. And every day I get more and more positive emails, which makes me feel so good. Uh, We're a very resilient bunch of people. And I know that the arts will never die and uh, live concerts will always be a a human necessity. Gathering in rooms and uh, enjoying each other's company will never be beaten out of us. But that also comes with some concerns. Uh, We've all been sitting at home to some degree for about nine months now, and our industry has taken a huge hit. We've all been affected in so many ways, uh, lifestyle and through our employment. So uh, I was hoping to have a long discussion today with a very good friend of mine who has some uh, a particular insight on this one. He's in a, a place where he can speak very credibly about some of these concerns that keep popping up. So I'm very excited to talk to Miles Mangino. He is a lighting and production designer at Highlight Production Design Studio out of New York. Thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it, Miles. Thanks for having me, Chris. Glad to be here again. I am glued to your social media presence because it brings so much optimism it's, oh. <laughs> uh, it's great to see production photos. I, I love, and I've almost forgotten how much I appreciate seeing load-in photos, and, uh, and I appreciate that. So thank you so much for sharing those. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'm happy too. It's, if, even if we're out on a gig, I'm just excited to share it and, and let my friends know what I'm doing and working on it. Like so one of the ones that I got to see on. recently was the Rockefeller installation. How did yeah. that go? So yeah, fantastic. Um, it's, it's, it seems to be the first year of a, of a five-year contract. And we got this to do a, um, a permanent lighting installation. Well, permanent for the season. Um, I did a design and installation for the rink. Um, the tree is as is, as it is every every year this year and um, we had it was a much more ambitious project once we first were looking at it in July than it turned out to be but much of it it got it got cut back because of the pandemic and they 
didn't even know whether the rink might open for a week and then um, and then close again. So much of the budget got moved to next year, but we still did some cool stuff and we put in a, a playback system and it was fun sitting there overnight in the freezing cold and it started to snow and I had my MA, you know, next to the side of the rink and programming away. And, that, and now it just sort of plays back on its own um, uh, with a, there's like, I think there's 23 two minute cues that just cycle through. So it's always changing. And, and um, so, yeah, it's the first year they've done anything on the ice rink there. And it's the rink in Rockefeller center, right in front of the big, you know, famous Christmas tree. That's um, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, so hopefully next year we can do a lot more, but it, it's been weird being there even, you know, that, that area I've, I've had, I've been down there like in the all afternoon on a work day and it usually would be absolutely jammed with people, especially during Christmas season. But I've, I've seen like the blue bottle coffee shop and the Starbucks coffee shop, like be open and have no customers, like from 11 AM to 1 PM, like the people just standing behind the counter at lunchtime and in wow. that building and nobody came and got a coffee you know so yeah the city the city is is strangely quiet you know like most of the offices are still open are still closed there's a lot of traffic though and i think that's um just the local people that don't want to use public transportation are now all driving um my my parking garage that i uh, I keep my car in. It used to be the first three floors were full and then floor four through eight was basically completely empty. And then the first day of school started, the whole parking garage was filled top to bottom. And um, now it's completely sold out every day. So, um, and that was for 10 years. There was, it was more than half empty. And so oh, something, man. something shifted like um, in the city here, uh, where a lot more people are driving, a lot more people are outside of the city coming into New York and then leaving again. It's, it's just, a, it's just, it's changed. It's what an interesting dynamic. I was talking to Bob from Eggshell Lighting and he was saying that all of the rental car companies in Hawaii have never actually had enough parking spots for all of their cars because they're always out on the road with tourists. And now oh, that right. there's no tourists, they don't even have enough place to store all of their own cars. Oh, yeah, right. Wow. So the point that they had to uh, rent the stadium to park all the cars. Huh. Crazy. In, in, in Manhattan, um, you know, they started in the summertime, they started um, allowing restaurants to do, to take up a lane. Of, they, they did some kind of ordinance change and uh, executive order and, and you could do outdoor seating in in one of the traffic lanes of the street and just black and and a lot of people did it really haphazardly at first just putting up like police <laughs> tape or like some you know like chairs and just like chairs sitting out in the traffic lanes but then once they made it permanent now everyone is like pouring concrete slabs building more elaborate structures and and there are some streets that are just closed off to traffic now and are just um pedestrian traffic and all this outdoor dining and it's just it's fantastic it's i think it's especially in the east village and alphabet city and the west village you know whole streets now and just um no cars and, and and all this outdoor seating and they're they're putting it oh even um new york city you could never have um open flame heaters 
So you couldn't okay. have those outdoor heaters and they suspended that law too. Right and on. so now all these places have, have heating, um, you know, those gas heaters outside and some, some restaurant, you know, like in New York, everything is so tiny and compact. And there were restaurants that used to only be able to seat like 12 or 16 people, but now that they take up a lane of traffic, they can seat 75 people. So they've actually <laughs> increased their, uh, their business. And it's been, you know, I'm sure they had a hard six months of no business, but now that they're back again, they're on the up. That's a great example of, of uh, human ingenuity and, and passion there. We're, if we can find a way to serve more people, we'll do it. That's yeah. awesome. That's great and to hear. And so it, the city is, it seems like it's, there's no tourists and there's very few students, at least college students. Um, and so it, it just feels like a, a different place. It really does. It feels like it's just when you go out in your neighborhood, it just feels like it's people who live in your neighborhood. And Mr. Rogers before. neighborhood theme song just popped through my head. The, yeah. All the people <laughs> in your neighborhood. So all this outdoor activity, this led to your other event that I love seeing photos of a, a bunch of shows on the rooftops of New York city. Yeah, that was fantastic. That was part of, or it's the beginning of this series that Rolling Stone um, magazine um, it was called um, their rooftop series. And it was supposed to be the five boroughs, but it, it wound up only, we did it on three. I drew up a, a design for like three identical stages. And then we had a stage in um, Brooklyn with the host. And then we had a stage in Queens with a host. And then we had a stage in, in Manhattan. And I, I was running that stage. Uh, Matt Gamunski was running the stage in, uh, in Queens and um, Ross Graham was running the stage in Brooklyn. And we spent a lot of time was going up on these rooftops and kind of trying to angle the stage just right, like the one in Brooklyn, so that the on, on the that that money camera shot had like the Empire State Building framed right behind the band. And then the one in Queens were up there like trying to find the right location and the right angle. And so that the Chrysler Building and the Empire State Building were framed right behind the band. And then the one in Manhattan, um, it was the World Trade Center that we framed it. So each of them had this beautiful city view to it. And yeah, it was it was it was great. It's it's a cool thing and it was streamed live on um Rolling Stones uh, magazine was trying to create content for their YouTube channel and it's streamed live and now it's archived. You can go on there and watch it. And, uh, yeah, it was a really fun. That's fun a beautiful set you. design. Uh, it would oh, uh, cost you billions to have that uh, <laughs> set design yeah. done. Hey, hey, uh, pulled it off. I went to Home Depot and bought some scenic. <laughs> you know, I actually, used, I wound up using the, um, this, there's this like metal mesh that um that you put down before you pour concrete like before you pour like a concrete sidewalk and and hung up a bunch of this metal mesh and kind of cut it out so it looked like it was the shape of buildings but it, it held it held gobos and held light really well and we and we put a bunch of festoons behind it so that sort of there were these sort of artificial building structures that were behind the band that were like scaled to, to sort of fit in with the natural buildings of the city in the background and the, and the festoons like peeking through this metal mesh kind of gave you that, that image of um, the lights being on in the building and stuff like that. It was, it was oh. fun like trying to color match, um, color temperature match the cameras to the skyline 
instead of the other way around. We wanted to maintain the warmth of the skyline and bring that onto the performers instead of, you know, going the other way, the, the opposite way, like you usually do. To, to anybody who's being introduced to Miles for the first time in this podcast, you should go and listen to our first podcast where we talk all about his insane ability to create uh, meaning and art out of literally nothing. Uh, to take chicken wire and turn it into a, a landscape is is uh, definitely uh, amongst these particular skills of Miles. He's uh, he's he's uh, he's very good at that. <laughs> I'm gonna have to go back and listen. <laughs> 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 I can't remember what, what I said. Yeah, it was it, it, it's that was at the beginning of the pandemic, and that feels like we were younger men back then. It's, yeah. It feels like we've been through a lot since then it's weirdly like a long time that it is not that long of a time yeah yeah so that brings me to the question that i want to address with you so this question came up while i was in las vegas on a gig and we had, were discussing another gig and that is how do we maintain our pay scale throughout these rough times and i know that you're you're still maintaining a, a work schedule have you been propositions to to cut your rate based on the the projected income of some of these projects um not not particularly i mean i've been i've been very very fortunate in that i've been incredibly busy insanely busy but but i think also a lot of that was in is was in preparation too. So like when mm -hmm. when I, I was out on tour, I was I was in um, Australia with the Pixies when we got the call in the middle of the night, like we're going home, everything's canceled, you know, on on uh, March 13th. And we, we got back into the country just in time before everything shut down and the big wave of people were were coming in from Europe. But um, but but then right after that, the next day, I, you know, I went into my office and every single day I just ca started calling every vendor and every production company and every coworker I knew and just trying to uh, feel out where they were, who who was going to get creative, who was looking forward and saying, OK, this is going to work. The concerts are not coming back. And I think some people got you know, in March that it's going to be two and a half years before this stuff comes back. And so I was really trying to, to weed through everyone I knew and look to see who was thinking like, okay, not I'm going to sit at home and play video games until I get a call for my tours coming back. But, mm -hmm. but the people who are saying, okay, we're in a pandemic what are we going to do to survive? What are we going to do so that we can still do what we do in a different way in the middle of social distancing with no, with no crowds, no audiences, where is the work going to be? Mm -hmm. And, you know, one thing in, in the world of, I'm probably getting off of your topic here completely. No, you're, you're but right one on. thing is in the world of content creation, now that everyone was at home, there was more demand for television and for content and for internet content and for film work. And I've, I've um, not, not till a few months after what I'm talking about, but in 
June, July, August, I was doing a few gigs. Um, I, I work in the like high fashion industry, shooting uh, lighting fashion commercials for, for a lot of different high-end brands. When I first went on the set, all the guys doing this kind of work were like, we are like working 24 hours a day. People are doing overnight shifts. There is so much work because as soon as the studios were allowed to work at, at a limited capacity, you know, COVID compliant, that everyone was shooting. Everyone was shooting in case they got shut down and they knew they were going to probably likely get shut down again once winter hit. So you're mm -hmm. trying to get as much stuff shot as possible so that then you can spend, whether it's Netflix or it's HBO or whether it's a commercial for Target stores or Louis Vuitton or what have you, that you know you can then, as long as you have loads of content, you can then spend the winter with someone doing posts and, and getting this stuff out or spend the winter and the following year. And so even some of these commercials we were shooting where it seems like they're they're shooting extra 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 stuff you know and often when we go in like i go in to shoot a commercial for target you know you spend a couple of days pre-lighting and a day shooting you you have enough content to be able to build uh, commercials for for television in the south american market in the european market in the central american in the eurasia market and all that and then you 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 also have uh clips for uh, online clips um, besides television, besides billboards. So you have all this stuff, but it seemed like they were shooting extra to have more, to even create like a, a second um, campaign or a second or third campaign with which with they've already shot, you know? So, so there was work there. It was very clever there. to squirrel away the content for the, for the yeah. winter because you can always have one guy in, a, in his home studio or in a studio doing posts, even if we are all ordered to yep. stay home. You know? So it sounds like as soon as you saw the shit starting to hit the fan, you got on the phone and started calling to make sure that you didn't have to make even tougher decisions to, uh, to, find, to get behind the eight ball and, uh, and look for work from, from, the back, from the back lounge. Yeah. So I found there was a few there was a few really innovative people here in New York that were really actively looking like what can we do what can we do what can we do and okay. so um, over the summertime you know drive-in movie theaters and pop-up mm -hmm. concerts and and building VR I I, I built a, a couple of um, XR stages. Um, people looking into that and um, doing cool. remote conferences. And so there was things happening. And then, and then those uh, like really three vendors that I, that I worked with, um, those were the people once that were kind of holding it together over the spring and summer. And then once the fall hit are slammed with work. Okay. So one of the things that you kind of mentioned with the Rockefeller installation is that and I think this applies to all gigs these days that they all come with this unwritten disclaimer that this production may or may not happen. I can only imagine that that puts a lot of stress on the production company to be able to, to keep their budgets as tight as possible. Uh, has that affected you in any way yet? Yeah. Um, uh, not 
particularly i mean it just i think in some of the projects i've been working on lately just like always people come to you and say hey can you can you do it for this can you make this happen this is my budget and you can make it happen but but that's how it how it's how it's always been but one one um one interesting factor that came to mind when you're saying this like last week i did the international emmys um and they were held for the first time uh, at the Hammerstein Ballroom. They usually were in a, um, a hotel ballroom in Times Square and with an audience and everything like that. But Hammerstein has been, um, they have a broadcast studio in another part of the building in the New Yorker Hotel that's tied into the venue. And so it's, um, it's already set up for like high level um, broadcast streaming. But um, one thing is, is that, there are medics there giving you COVID to rapid res, rapid result, whatever it's called, COVID test. Uh-huh. You're lining up in the all the crew and all the hosts and all the guests and everybody are lining up in the morning to get these tests. And you're standing outside, and when you get your results, you're called in. Right? Oh wow! So. I haven't seen it yet, but I always thought of what if one person, one principal person tested positive what happens to that what if when we were doing that the host of the emmys was positive or the or the guy mixing audio or me or someone suddenly you can't come in you need a fill-in they would have to make a call to either cancel or replace and if like you said if it's a host that you can't replace the host what do you do? So I don't know. And I think in all the situations I've been in, I don't think anyone had a contingency plan for that. <laughs> you know what I mean? It doesn't appear that way. But I was st- as I'm standing there, like waiting to hear your name called, you know, like you hear your name called and you walk up to the EMT and he gives you the up or down. And so I've never been on anything where even some of these jobs where there's there's 50 people there and everyone gets tested outside you know and I've, I've my optimism wants to believe that they have a contingency through some sort of production insurance or uh some sort of way of remunerating that that cost i i, I want to believe that they're they're making it worth the effort for themselves in case something like that happens yeah if they're thinking ahead yeah. i'm not sure uh but even if not those those testings can't be cheap they have to be uh, assuming that cost in one way or another so i mean to do the same production that you used to do now we're going to require the the infrastructure necessary we're going to require all the ppe the rapid testing the broadband yeah the uh the amount of time necessary to leave your entire crew out on the street for 45 minutes to an hour mm-hmm. um, there's a lot of additional costs of it now but staff has been reduced like you know when True. i was doing these high fashion commercials i mean they would often if you did a big shoot for like tommy hilfiger or target there's 150 people on the set I was on a set with Maybelline once and there was like 125 people to film a woman putting on eyeliner, (laughs) you know, like, (laughs) 
<laughs> but now they're doing it with 20 people. Right. We have right? to. Yeah. We have to. Right. And, um, you know, everything gets simplified down. And, um, and it, you, you know, you change the way you, you change the way you work. Um, but, you know, hopefully still seems like still getting good results and everyone hustles a little bit harder, but people are happy to hustle because they, they really want the work. But. Right. So the realist in me accepts what you're saying. And I know where that leads. That leads to production calling the same people that they know and love to say, we need you to do double duty for less. And we're a lot of us are in a place where we're, we're going to have to be willing to do twice as much work for less pay in order to make productions happen again. I don't, I think you should be able to stick to your rate and stick to your pay, what you've always got. And, and, and the, the, the income is still there, you know, in a, mm -hmm. in a course, in a cut like this thing I was doing with Rolling Stone, it was a sponsored event. And so there right. was no audience. So there was no expectation of ticket sales. You know what I mean? And, um, but same thing, if you're doing a corporate event, it's still a corporate event. You know, one, you know, I, I've done two concerts now. I'm two conferences now where they used to have to fly 500 people to some <laughs> island in the Caribbean and put them up in a hotel and pay their PDs and pay their flights and all this and that. And so they don't have to do that anymore, but they can right. spend the extra money on making sure on the streaming services and making sure people's, um, um, they have a high quality connection wherever they are in their home and, and they look correctly. You know, I've done, I'll, I've, I've had a few gigs like that. And, uh, for like a, a big uh, corporate conference where I went to someone's house and had them sit in the chair and like put the right picture behind them and piled up some books on a shelf behind them and showed the binder of like books that represent uh, their personality or something. And you put a little plant there and you say, okay, you gotta move a little closer. You gotta sit on a pillow and you get them all in just the right place. So then the next day when they do their Zoom conference to their, uh, to their their all their uh employees that they look good you know so there's there's work there or even <laughs> putting nice. up cam putting yeah. up camera lights hanging blankets so the sound is good and you know so um yeah i've had a few of those gigs so yeah that's uh those are the rocks that we have to kick over to see where yeah. the work is available these days because there's there's still money available. Uh, I know that a lot of people want to convince us that they're, we're in a, a world of scarcity right now, but there's there's still it's money still, available for that stuff. Especially in a corporate, like say in a corporate, uh, they do their, companies do their conference every year. They have a million dollar budget and this year everyone's got to be at home. So they still got to spend that budget somewhere. So yeah. they send a production team out to the CEO's home and to all the um, vice president's home and make sure they look and sound good on Zoom and they have a good stream, you know? Yeah. If they don't spend that budget this year, they won't have it next year. They won't have it next year. Yeah. Oh, you were able to do a uh, teleconference uh, for 500. Mm -hmm. Why can't we do that next year? Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a good point. Even um, like when I did the international Emmys and then I did this, uh, the conferences, I, um, there's like a new position for 
for us too, in the person that like the streaming guys now on site, and now you have mm -hmm. someone that's, um, what are those Barco consoles that look just like a hog four? They're in the same shell as a hog four. I never saw these before. Yeah. Like, you, you know what I'm talking about? And I know. So, I don't know the name, but yeah, I've seen them. Yeah. So there's been video people that have been transitioning over to this. And so that now you have a host on stage doing an award show, but he has to cut into all the uh, nominees and hosts in other cities. And then there's this guy that and the show caller is he's bringing up, calling him to bring up different feeds from around the world on the on this on the screens, you know. Actually, so I did a, a, a um, like a financial conference. It was a, a cryptocurrency conference that went on for six days, about um, uh, six weeks ago. And so the main, and it used to be they had it in um, Bermuda. Is this every year they have this conference in Bermuda? And since they didn't have to rent hotels and fly people there and and do all that, they they had the budget and they set up um, eleven streaming studios around the world and so we we had the new york people and the the main um um hub was in london and so there were 15 people production people working in london in an empty sound stage and we were on one here and we had about 15 or 20 people here and then they had one in seoul and they had one in hong kong and one in tokyo and one in prague and one in sydney and so so it was great, like connecting up to everybody. And, and I could, I could through my headset, talk to the lighting people in all the different cities and we could balance things and give them say when something's coming over the stream, maybe adjust the color temperature or something like that. But, um, but yeah, and the audio people. So that was, it was really cool to know that there were people around the world at home were watching and, but there were also our, our counterparts around the world that we were all tied in and, and working together with. So even though our staff was reduced, if it was a live conference, maybe instead of there being 15 of us at front of house and another 10 people on stage, um, but we knew that that amount of staff was duplicated in the other nine or 10 cities, whatever it was. So there were, you know, there were people working. You know. Cool. When production gets that complex, that is not a time to be cutting your rate or uh, or giving any discounts. Like, no, this is this is some high level complexity here. Yeah, you're uh, when you're coordinating nine stages across the globe. That's not a time to be looking for the the lowest bidder. So that's uh, that's a great way to gain some confidence when it comes back to work. To just remember that there's no reason to reduce rates just because of all the things of all the shit we've been through. Yeah, you shouldn't at all. But there's a but I wonder when when audiences come back and um and now all this new streaming technology has developed mm -hmm. so well that you can pop someone up on a screen. You know, we've been doing a lot of the designs is always like the 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 speakers are off to one side of the stage and then we we take a video wall and put it like on a 30 degree angle on the other side of the stage so they can kind of look over their shoulder and speak to the whether they're award winners oh we did this i did this on um i was i've been doing um biden's uh um press conferences for like six months since that that was my first gig in the middle of the very beginning of pandemic but on election night we had um i was on kamala harris's stage 
in uh, Philadelphia and then Biden was in Pittsburgh and we did the same thing. We put like a, a big video wall on a, a slightly weird, like 30 degree angle uh, sort of off stage, right? So she could be at the lectern and kind of looked her, over her shoulder and, and talk to Biden and then he could be the same there and they could kind of communicate with each other and they're up in a big image on the screen and it was sitting it, you know, it just gave the impression that they were in the same place and worked worked really well in the same way that the conferences or award shows are all that same sort of layout and and format you know from what from what i've seen and what i've heard from their uh, campaign trails is they've been very diligent in making sure that all the precautions are taken all the ppe is provided all the social distancing all the hand sanitizer is provided is that that all accurate a hundred percent yeah you know, very concerned about how everyone is going to be. And so the, like I said, the first gigs I did, um, I think this must've been in April. And so Biden was doing like, like weekly press conferences, sort of, he's from Wilmington, Delaware, Wilmington area. So he was doing them around sort of Philadelphia, Scranton. So he didn't have to travel too far. We would go in, you know, and, and for me, it was simple. I was putting up like 16 Lico's and lighting the lectern and lighting the flags and a little bit of light around the room, but just, just making it, it look good for, for television. And so it was, um, we'd have five stage hands and we'd have like one pool camera, usually uh, someone from Associated Press would have a pool camera so that then they could sell the feed to all the networks and then you would have reduced number of people there. You'd have a pool photographer, same thing, who would shoot. And then I guess um, somehow all the different um, you know, news outlets would, mm-hmm. would take their pictures. And then we, we'd, we made these, these plastic six-foot circles that we had cut out that like snapped together like a puzzle. And we put them around the room and put a chair in each one. So if there was any kind of press doing an interview or a few, sometimes there were a few guests and we'd lay out these circles and spread them out. And, and oh yeah, totally, ser- really serious. And um, even setting things up. I, I, and it was in the early days when everyone was m- much more paranoid about it. And even I remember the, when I set things up, I put, I like take the lamps out of a case and put them over there and I'd stand like 20 feet away and explain to the hands what they had to do. And, you know, like I remember the first time in like April, one of the hands asked to borrow my sea wrench. And I was like, oh, like I have to hand something to somebody. Oh, and then man. like they handed it back to me. And I was like, immediately like went to the bathroom and wiped it down with Clorox and washed my hands with soap and everything. And I know now it's, it, as long as you wear a mask and you don't get too close to everyone, something like that, but it was really, it was really like that. But yeah, all, you know, and, and with Biden's thing, they had even the, even on the uh, pre-light day, the day before in the setup, there was one member of his team and one member of Secret Service there. And if anyone was wearing, um, not wearing a mask, even properly over your nose, they were not taking any shit. And we're going to like come wow. up and tell you, put that out. And you always, there was always seemed to be like one stagehand that didn't show up with his own mask. And, but we had ones we'd give to them in gloves and gloves or kept pulling it off and, but they would come up and go, look, if you pull that off your nose again, we're throwing you out of here, you know? 
and since uh, the what a job happy, for Secret Service! They've spent yeah. years being only concerned about the health and safety of one or two people, yeah. and now they have to be concerned about everybody in the room. Yeah, man, that's that's a lot. That's a but, lot. You know, of and, and but massively um, reduced. You know, even. Um, uh, just everything. I'd say even when the press conference was happening, there still was only a maximum of, I don't know, 15 people in the room. And um, Biden or, or Kamala would wear their masks until they got to the lectern and everyone was 30 feet away from them. And and um, so, yeah, they were they were very smart and very cautious. And, you know, they were concerned about everyone's well-being. I, I can't... I can't argue with the fact that this is going to be a trend for quite a while. It's not like the floodgates are just going to open right back up. It's going to be this amount of precaution for concerts to be at even 25%. Yeah. I think that's going to be a trend for quite a while. We're not going to go straight back to packed arenas and packed stadiums. Yeah. it's. Um, I try to keep emphasizing that too my touring uh, colleagues and friends that look and the people that are thinking, oh, as soon as that vaccine, you know, the vaccine comes out on December 11th and December 12th, I'm back on my tour. You know, <laughs> it's gonna be, nope. it's not. I've already, I mean, about a month ago, I got the emails um, that all of the um, spring and summer 2021 tours that were scheduled from 2000, spring and summer of 2020, have now been moved to 2022. So, so yeah, so everything, even, even I had one tour that started in September of 2021 has been moved to 2022. So it was a year from now, it's been moved ahead. Wow. So, you know, the vaccine, of course, is going to help and testing is going to help. But, you know, we've had a vaccine for the flu since 1930. Yeah. People still get the flu. Yep. You know, so uh, just yep. to all of my friends and colleagues, you have to think very hard of what you're going to do to take care of yourself and your family. You can't wait for your tour to come back because it's going to be a long time. You know, there is work out there. And if you get creative and you look and maybe, maybe you, you learn Unreal Engine, mm -hmm. you know, yep. you learn things like that, learn vector works, learn to do renderings. There's a lot of work out there. There's insane amount of work in content creation. Learn Maya. There's people are hiring, you know, it's, it's, yep. it's going to be a while. That's a, that's very, uh, that's coming from a place of realism for sure. Yeah. So I know that you are pressed for time today and we're almost out of time, but the, the question that yeah. I really wanted to present today after those very wise words, was this comes from a semi hypothetical situation that was recently presented to me. So I live in Canada, the southernmost, southernmost point of Canada. If I got hired to go do a gig in New York, as soon as I enter New York City, I would have to quarantine in a hotel for 14 days. And then if I were to fly back over the border into Canada, I would have to quarantine for another 14 days. 
So in total, that would be 28 days that I would be unable to work, see my family, uh, do any of the things that I would want to do. So if the production company were to choose that I was the best person for that job in New York, could I justifiably put that cost on them? So let's say I'm coming in for a five-day shoot, which is going to end up eating up 28 days of my life. Could I charge them 28 days of rate for that five-day production? That would be nice. And that would be the proper (laughs) thing to do. (laughs) That would be nice. But there is no fucking way anyone is paying that. Yeah. No one is paying that. Now, right. maybe, okay, I did a, a, a fashion commercial um, like two weeks ago, and the director came from France, and I think he got that. Okay. Now, that's the director. Okay. Nobody else was getting that. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, yeah, I just, I, I, it, it makes sense of, of what you're saying, and maybe on certain types of, of of corporate gigs i don't know okay some of the biden um um things we did um because to prevent like if all the staff was coming to new york to do an event in um delaware like there was a time when delaware was one of the states that was on the quarantine list and but like the place we were staying and the place where the event was was just like over the border and so instead they moved it into pennsylvania and so that to, to prevent that, like we stayed okay. in a hotel on the Pennsylvania side of the border. That's so, clever. You know, there's, yeah, there's always that. Okay. So we both agree that nobody would be, or should be willing to pay 28 days rate for five days work. Let's say I really, really want those five days pay. If I take it and just eat the co- eat those 28 days of my life to get those five days work, have I, have I cheated myself? Have I cheated my brothers and sisters who were trying to get, you know, equal pay or fair pay? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I I don't know what the answer. I uh, I I think that there has to be some sort of negotiation there. I think there has to be. I don't know if it should be a, a quarter pay for that amount of time or a. There has to be some sort of acknowledgement of the fact that 28 days of your life have been taken up by that production. And because also you want people to do the right thing. You Mm -hmm. want people to do that. You know, I have like on, on some events I've worked on, I've seen crews came in from California to work on a, a three day job and then flew back to California. Now, whether, or not they respected the quarantine, I don't know. But we want to be encouraged to do the right thing. We don't want right. to be encouraged or forced by necessity to do the wrong thing, you know? Another one too is I just was reading the CDC guidelines for for traveling during the holidays were updated and they talked about getting a test 
uh, two days before you travel to visit family and then okay. getting another test two to four days after you return. So I think with so much widespread testing today that eventually, I mean, sure, the rules still are for the 14 day quarantine, but I right. think as things progress, I can start to see that that is the solution or um, a, a change in, in instead of the quarantine is getting before and after testing. Yeah, I think rapid testing is going to alleviate all of that. It's just yeah. another example of technology making us more free there. I would imagine that if you planned for a 14 day quarantine, but were able to take a rapid test to say, to prove your, your healthiness, I would imagine you could bypass all of that red tape. Yeah. Right on. Well, uh, thank you so much for all of your insight. I, I'm really glad to hear that you're doing well. Yeah. I look forward to hearing more stories from more people that are finding these, uh, these rocks to kick under and finding the innovation and the creativity available to find all these available gigs. They are there. If you look, you know, right on. work is there. We, I'm on this, um, I'm on this texting group of like 24 something LDs. And uh, it's, it's sometimes the phone is just going ding, 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 all day. And they're just mainly, it's like a support group. Right. And so, you know, we post a little bit of work things, but it's mostly people's pets and what they're eating and how they're feeling. And, <laughs> but it's great. And there's so many, it's great to actually connect with, with um, many people that I, I really respect and have watched their work and, you know, and um, in, in the industry and um, being able to connect with them on a, on a more personal level. And it goes on all day long, crazy conversations and, and means, but it's, but it's been a really good, I, and I would encourage anybody um, out there to get in on, on something like this. It's, it's fun and, and you can see what everybody's up to and people support each other and throw gigs one way or another, back and forth, and ideas on, on what you can do to sustain yourself and survive during this. So. That is very beneficial. Uh, that's the yeah. least we can do is to keep uh, supporting one another. Thank you so much for your time, Miles. Right. I really appreciate awesome. it. It's always a pleasure Let's, to talk. Uh, I'm sure we could do this for hours on end. We could. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, let's. Uh, thanks for having me on, and um, yeah, let's let's do it again. <laughs>